I'm gonna go ahead and read from James 3, 1 through 12. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in his mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds are strong in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in His image. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. You can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Thank you, Becca. Um, I do look forward to seeing the pictures of the frogs that the children make, photos, share them. I'd like to see what uh, you adults also come up with because I'm sure you'll be trying it as well. Um, I know for me this week, I have taken in more words than I care to even think about. The, The screen time setting on my phone that gives me my update Uh, of how often I check my phone for new words, new articles, new videos, new thoughts, new everything about the current situation we're in. I don't even wanna look at it because I'm embarrassed to check. And I know for some of you, maybe this is your unplugged dream, right? Uh, But for me, the the rate at which information keeps changing uh, without the words that I might read, I might miss words that could actually, you know, save my life and survival is at stake, right? Uh, Maybe. At least that's what the internet tells us. Uh, But I've been tempted to devour more words lately because of all the unknown that exists. Um, I know I have been baffled at how some words that I take in um, cause me to want to shut down and give up. I've been baffled at the way some words have actually strengthened and stirred me. Um, words that have caused hope and calm in me, but also words that have caused panic and despair. Now, I am of the opinion that God should have designed our bodies with a word count meter, and when that word count meter is reached, we all just fall asleep. Like, we just get to do the sign language sign all done, and we fall over, and we, everybody understands. It's a word limit has been reached per, faint or something, and we fall down on the ground because we've taken in way too many words for the day. I know parents of small children understand this feeling. Uh, I'm all done. I'm all done with the words. No more talking. No more words. And we would all kind of get used to it as a society that, oh, that person's hit their word limit for the day. Let's just let them nap for a minute. In our time in James, James is writing to scattered Christians who are in a pretty difficult time. 
They have been since persecuted and sent out. And in that persecution, as on their way out, they've really, they've shared the gospel. And now they're in a place where they are separate from one another. Kind of like us right now, in some respects. James writes this letter to believers who may have one point sat in the gathering together. And so he writes a letter to those who have understood faith in Jesus Christ. So he's writing to the church, doesn't have a name of a church, but it is to the Christians, the Jewish believers who have been scattered all over. And he chooses to mention the power of words several times. The first being in James chapter one, he says in verse 26, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. That word religious doesn't mean what our culture says it means. And like, oh, they're so religious. No, James is saying, look, if you claim to worship God, but your tongue is out of control, you're not only lying to yourself, but your worship doesn't mean anything either. I want to remind you from last week, and honestly, it's the kind of the hub of the, of the letter of James. It is that an inward transformation produces an outward transformation. James is not writing to a people who are supposed to start earning and working and performing for God. He's actually writing to a people who have claimed to believe this message by faith that Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead. But they've kind of said, well, now, does anything that we do actually matter? And James says, it's impossible to separate faith and works. In fact, faith that only expresses itself by talky-talky is useless and lifeless. This is not what Jesus came to bring his people. He did not come to bring useless and lifeless faith. He actually came to bring us real, apparent, visible, abundant life. So James really hones in on this inward transformation producing an outer effort. And it's different and it looks different. And today he's specifically going to look at the power of our words. You and I are really slow to pay attention to the power of our words. Why do I know? Well, because we use them so carelessly. You and I have to be convinced of the power of the tongue. James starts a new thought in verse one of James chapter three. He starts with those who are hungry for a teaching mantle. He says, verse one, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church for we who teach will be judged more strictly. It's interesting that James would start in the power of words with teachers. And in this new window for the church, there may have been Jewish believers who saw, hey, the respect and the power and the authority that the rabbis had. We want in on that. There may have been people going, we want to teach or we want to be the, the guest speaker or we want to do these things. And James is saying, hold your horses, consider some things if you will. Why does he start with teachers? Well, in Christian community, Christian teachers have been given the responsibility of communicating the doctrines, the elements, all the things that will bind a community together. In James's day, much like ours, there was a concern that people would reach for this position for all the wrong reasons. James says that the church, people in the church, should consider deeply and even restrain themselves from putting themselves in a place to teach because of what comes with that. 
And I know right now we're living in a window where everybody's got a phone and everybody can upload and everybody can do and everybody's gonna start this and start this, but be careful your words. Be careful before you fill up someone's timeline. Be careful before you put something out there that might instruct someone in something that may or may not be for their benefit. Someone who is a flawed teacher, both in their words and their behavior, could lead a lot of people into error. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus makes a big deal about this. He says, but if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Our words and our actions, if they communicate to someone who's, who's trusting you, causing that person to fall into sin, Jesus says it is a very big deal. When we are being careless with the teachings that we, that we communicate, it simply shows that we have not considered how important words really are. Or we have considered how important those words are and we're doing it for all the wrong reasons. James reminds everyone that teachers will be judged more strictly. While yes, each of us, you and I, will be held accountable for all of our words, this does not mean that God has more stricter disciplines that he's gonna put out on a teacher versus the person who's not a teacher. Because why would anyone sign up for teaching? Jesus' blood covers bad teachers too. Covers good teachers, covers them all. But this, I believe, James is pointing to a more practical outcome more practical results in being judged more strictly. Teachers live under great scrutiny, a huge microscope, words being dissected, words being taken out of context, words being examined by everyone. Professor uh, Daniel Doriani said these words. He says, teachers are especially vulnerable to failures of speech because their role demands that they speak so much. More words means more errors. We've all seen the, the YouTube Vine viral videos of the pastor slip up and he accidentally says one thing, but we've also seen where people are just attacked for little sermon snippets that might've been taken out of context, disagreements, attacks, misunderstandings, ridicule. Simply look at the internet, memes, blogs, open letters, tweets in, misinterpreted, tweets twisted on purpose, all the different things that go on because of a communicator's words. But there is another layer to Christian teaching. Not only are teachers' words subject to the microscope, but Christian teaching was given not so that we might just explain it, but we are to live it. Jesus did not give these thoughts as abstract. If you have time, do these things. We are meant to obey and walk out his words. Christ followers are to reflect and live the words that we are attempting to invite others to live by. This should cause us great pause in teaching. James doesn't joke around with teachers as he knows that their words have the ability to lead people to real life or real destruction. I am glad for the pace of James's pen though. Verse two, he, he gives us a little bit of grace in this window and says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. James is pointing us to how important our words are, but also what our words reveal about us. 
James is not saying that if we could control our tongue, we'd be perfectly behaved in every possible way this side of eternity. He's not saying that you will be without sin. That word perfect is pointing to mature, having reached its end complete. A person who can control their tongue is mature and their lives show other signs of maturity. There's a good chance if you are out of control with your mouth, your life is also out of control. But there's a good indicator that if you are one who is able to control their words, then there are other areas of your life that you might show great control in. Mature in our words, mature in other areas of our life. Thankfully, James doesn't just aim for teachers in this moment because how quickly you and I would go, well, I don't wanna be a teacher, doesn't apply to me, I'm good. This has nothing to do with me. Secondly, I do think you and I need to kind of strip back and pull back some of the glamour of the first century church. I think we all think for some reason they were just these, 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 these um, pillars of greatness and, gr and they were willing to die and they were willing to do all these things. And yes, there are stories that we read of, but for the most part, they were just as messed up as we are. James lets us know that. Paul's writings lets us know that. The New Testament letters let us know that they were flawed just like us. In the New Testament church, they were humans, there was dissension, there were disputes, there were arguments, they were catty, they were backbiting, they were gossipy, they were broken too. James has to correct. It's how we know they were just like us. James uses three illustrations and calls our imaginations to see just how powerful human speech can be. He uses the large horse in a tiny bit. This tiny bit that goes into the horse's mouth is able to direct this huge animal. But then he points to a ship and a rudder, this tiny piece of a ship, this 1% can control the 99% of this boat. And then he adds the little, the little note, even though the winds are strong. So even if there's a huge force pushing against the boat, the rudder still works. With both of these illustrations, we see that the tongue seemingly insignificant in size, has great power and great effects. You and I need this reminder constantly because we are constantly careless with our words. We often think, well, it's out of sight, out of mind. I don't think about my tongue. Something small can't control that much. We'd be wrong in our thinking. After all, let's be honest, you and I are quarantined right now because of something that we can't see with the naked eye. Small things have great power to control. These illustrations don't just show the power of the tongue to direct lives, but James also gives illustration of how destructive the tongue can be. Verse five and six say this, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. The tongue has the power to direct our lives, which honestly should keep us intentional about watching our words. But the power of the tongue also is able to destroy our lives. But you and I know that like a fire, if not contained, it can grow out of control and others can be burned too. 
our destruction with our words doesn't just apply to us, but more often than not, it applies to those around us and it leaves a wake of destruction when we are careless with our words. The phrase, they're just words, should not be in our vocabulary. Nations, movements, both good and bad, world-altering events have all happened and been sparked by great speakers, communicators. Hitler spoke. Destruction followed, stirring a movement of death and destruction. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speaks, and life follows, stirring a movement of unity and shining light on injustice. Both moved people to action, both incredible speakers, both using words. You may not be Hitler, you may not be MLK, but you are somewhere in between. Your words have sway and influence over your sphere, directing people towards destruction or towards bringing people to life. Friends, they are not just words. They have the power to end life and the power to give life. The statistics alone of the number of people who have taken their own lives because of the lies they have believed should stir us to be more concerned with our words. The statistics alone of those who have said, someone spoke over my life this encouraging word and it set a course. Those things should stir us to be very careful how we speak to one another. If we appropriately understand James's words, then it's safe to say that the bicep, the calf muscle, the thigh muscle, all these muscles we think that are the most strong, they're not. The tongue is. A strong bicep might give you the strength to crush a wall, but the tongue can crush a heart for life. This equal ability to do good or to do harm by our words really should sober us. This sobering picture remains in full effect when James points to his next illustration, the amazing work that animal trainers can do. Okay, all right, come here, come here. Give me the ball. Lay down. Give me the ball. Lay down. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. Kili's practicing being a mommy. Mm -hmm. This is how she holds her baby. Hold. Good bird. Yeah, that's cute. Oh. Oh, come on. Now that's adorable. Good bird. Time for baby to go night night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, good bird. Oh, my. It is incredible the amount of talent and commitment that these trainers put forward, but no one can tame the tongue. And I'm, I'm not sure if we would even be inspired to try. The description of this beast is restless, evil, full of deadly poison. I want you to imagine, if you can, a Craigslist ad looking for a tongue tamer. Like, you even try and tame it down just a little bit, but the truth is, 
You know, you write this thing as best as you can. Wanted, trainer for a very active animal. This animal is constantly on the move. It has a bark and a bite, but means well by it, you know, because it likes you. Curiosity often leads it to trouble. Oh, who am I kidding? This beast is an animal. It's poisonous. And oh yeah, comes straight from the fires of hell. Good luck. Please text or email with serious inquiries only. Right? Like that would be the invitation. Come and try and tame this tongue. And God says, there ain't no one who can. After a day with the tongue, trainers would either give up or be killed in the line of duty. This is why there are some who have said that God gave us teeth to cage this deadly weapon and a mouth to close it in. At least two layers of defense for this tongue that has to go through. In my own life, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me has to have been one of the most fake news articles and stories of my day. I would often rather take a physical beating than hear someone point out all my insecurities for others to consider. The pain of words I still remember to this day, insults, hurtful words, making fun of both that I received and that I dished out. James concludes this portion with the biggest problem of our untamed tongue. This is the heart of it. First, there's a mouth that praises God out of the right side of the face. And then out of the left side, we curse human beings made in God's image. Both coming out of the same mouth. James says, this is impossible. Impossible. Just as if a fig tree could produce olives or a fig growing on a grapevine or fresh water coming out of a saltwater spring. Again, impossible. James takes us to the heart of the situation, literally, in that our hearts are double-minded. This is what sin does. It tries to say, it's okay to live in two ways. It's okay to trust God here, but not here. Our sin really is affecting everything in us, including our words. The tongue is just a reminder of how desperate we are for Christ's single-heartedness towards God. Jesus's death would not have qualified for us if his life had not first. His perfect life, singular focus on the kingdom of God, the way human beings were made to live in perfect relationship with God, in relationship with each other. We are in desperate need of Jesus's words. Thankfully, our words are not the most serious issue here. Honestly, for those of you, maybe you grew up in a church tradition and you walked an aisle, you filled out a card when you gave your life to Christ. The best thing that we could have done in those moments is probably hand every new believer a roll of duct tape if our words were just the issue. You're a Christian now, here's your duct tape. You're gonna need it. Our words are not the main issue here. Our heart is. And thankfully, Jesus goes to the heart of the issue. Jesus gives good words of insight to our words in dealing with the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 and 34, he says this, a tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. The biggest problem with our words 
is that they indicate what's going on on the inside. Does this mean that a Christ follower will never insult or never bring another person harm by their words? No, but it is a litmus test of what is going on in the heart and what we are worshiping. Our primary issue is not a words issue. Those are the result. Our primary issue is not a self-control issue. It is a heart issue. And strangely enough, our heart issue has also been dealt with by words. I know many of you may be able to um, relate to me, but I know the, the shackling effect of painful words that have been spoken to me. Jealous attacks over uh, in the sports world, hearing nonstop criticism about this person should be playing over this person and just feeling the weight of comparison. Criticizing words when you, when you do video work and you post something and you get, you get critical words from people who, who probably have never lifted up a camera in their day, but you still remember those words. The comparing words to people who do things better than I do. Comparison is a killer for me. And I look at that and I see comparing words and I just, I struggle with those words. And I have felt my heart chained up by those words. All of those words that make me want to quit and give up. But I know for some of you, you would also relate to my, the heart freedom that has come by words spoken too. And I believe the greatest heart freeing words that you and I can hear come from Jesus. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I have come that they might have life and life abundant. All who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. These words that have been spoken, that were painful and shackling, are combated by true words spoken by the word of God. It is not a coincidence to me that Jesus is the word of God. He is the visible word of God on display. Jesus, the words revealing the heart of our father. These words spoken over our lives set our hearts free. And the beautiful thing, the beautiful result of a heart that has been set free is that it speaks words that reflect that. A freed heart wants freedom for others. Our words matter. You and I have spoken false words. You and I have believed false words. We have spoken evil of people and we have believed enemies' lies, words over our creator's words to us. Yet, Jesus died for these life-taking, unclean lips so that we could be made new. To speak life by pointing others to the word of God, Jesus. He is the purest word, the true word. In a, word, in a world where words really matter, Jesus matters most. As we close our time this morning and the band comes and we worship, you're gonna be singing words you're going to be saying words out loud. You might be hearing those words sung by the people that might be with you if you gathered with anybody. But in, if in your home you're saying these words, the fight is not to battle saying bad words. The fight is to keep our eyes on Jesus, the one who is the word of God. And I know for all of us, our, our first thought is going to be, okay, now, you know what? I'm going to put a cursing jar in my living room. I'm going to put a taming the tongue jar or ugly words jar, collecting money towards a good cause, anything we can do to control this tongue. 
But truly, for our words to be transformed, the heart has to experience the word of God. And that is belief on Jesus. Believing the one that God has sent to be the one who covers our unclean lips and our unclean hearts. Jesus goes to the heart, the source of all that comes out of this mouth, and he changes the source where it was salty, it is now fresh water spring. Jesus is that word. He sets our course. He determines our course set for life, not for destruction. He is seemingly insignificant in this world, in a world that boasts power and prestige, but he alone controls all things. He destroys all arguments for real life. He is real life. He is the pure spring, a pure spring that we desperately need. You and I have a choice today. First, will we continue to just do battle against our our cutting words and try and be better? Or will we surrender that we can't tame the tongue and we need Christ's covering? I don't know if you've, not, if, if, if you've trusted Christ with your life or if you've prayed some prayers and you've had a words-only faith, maybe it's time for you to consider, have I put my trust in the one who is able to change even the way I speak? Would you do that today? For those of you who are Christ followers, are you paying attention to the indicators that are going off that you might be putting your trust in some other place by the way you speak? Your words are a great check engine light. Have you taken a moment to sit and consider those things? Are you speaking a lot of words? James also said, be slow to speak. Do you always feel like you have to rush with answers or can you be silent and be still? Or is it a matter of you being thrown out in front of everyone? Are we paying attention to the results of our many words? This is a time in history for us to be very other-centered. We're finding out if we will be selfish or selfless. And honestly, with our words, our words serve others just as much as our hands can, if not more. So do not be one who is stingy with the words that could breathe life in someone's life, but be generous with them because Jesus has breathed life into us He has taken dead people and made them alive. That is where we put our eyes today. That is why we consider these scriptures today. That's why I didn't change up the message to just meet the moment, but to go, we are still believers who walk by the scripture, who look at it and go, you know what? Jesus doesn't just comfort me. He comforts me to comfort others. He equips me to do the work that he has planned for the church to do before the creation of the world. These words aren't just to stop us from saying unkind things. They're to remind us that we have had every bit of life spoken over our lives in Christ so that we might go and speak life where we go. May we do that as his church. May we consider the power of our words this morning. Father, we love you. And I ask that as we continue in a time of worship, that we would hear these words sung, but we would also sing them. Because God, we know that you have to go to the heart. You are the one who has cleansed our unclean lips, but you have sent us as a people who would speak life where we go. 
in our homes, over our children, over our spouse, over our workplace. Let us consider the power of our words this day, but let us consider the power of the word, Jesus, this day. In your name we pray.